0: Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Now let's dive into today's topic. It's my pleasure to welcome back Lucas Moreno to the podcast. Welcome back, Lucas.
1: Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. It's always a great privilege to be here with you.
0: Well, it's always great having you on. So for those that may not be familiar with you, you know, you work for Amentum. You are Mm -hmm. owner of these Partnership. You've also are in the process of writing a book on level of repair analysis. If I did I get that one right, or is it done?
1: <laughs> yeah, Now you're, you're right. I'm still, I'm still plugging away. Yeah. All
0: right. And prior to that, you spent a tremendous amount of time working on logistics engineering and many years within the Coast Guard, although super vague. Is there anything you want to fill, on, fill in on that intro?
1: No, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty much it. i mean, just, I love sustaining assets, you know, taking care of things the the whole maintenance and reliability piece. But we, uh, we focus on expanding that a bit in, uh, in our work in the government and, and um, touching every point of product support, uh, everything it takes to support the assets. So that's kind of what I, what I like to, to spend my time doing. And that's what, you know, naturally progresses us to today's topic. So.
0: All right. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this pro- this topic actually was spurred by a LinkedIn post you put up there. And you're talking about project management within that LinkedIn post. And I figured, you know, I don't think we spend a lot of time on project management yet, but it's an important aspect of any maintenance or reliability professional's role. So essentially, what is a project and what is project management?
1: Yeah, I, I love that question for this audience because... You know, you can look up the Project Management Institute's definition of a project, and it's you know, it's a it's a it's an endeavor that has a definitive beginning and an end, and it, it exists to do a very particular thing, and that's it. Um, you know, produce product A or you know, fix uh, product B or whatever the case is, and it's it's well defined, uh, and it's it's basically a, a controlled effort to deliver some value to uh, the user organization. And when we look at it through the lens of, of maintenance reliability professionals, we, like you, like you, you'd said, you know, we're often involved in projects. We just don't think about them as being these structured endeavors. Um, and I, I think that's one of the beauties of project management is that once you become, uh, aware and educated on how to properly run projects, you realize how important it is and how much you missed in the past. And, what you can do in the future to, you know, get the greatest return on investment with those projects within your organization.
0: All right. Excellent. Yeah. And I think when we, when you talk about missing out on things, there's you no know, couple different things people can miss out on. If they're not managing projects correctly, it could be, you know, we extended the timelines. It could be that we added costs. It could be the quality wasn't there. Uh, it could be a variety of different things. Now understanding how to manage a project is vitally important. And you mentioned PMI. And that's the body of knowledge that I'm familiar with. But what makes up the project management body of knowledge?
1: Yeah, so it's <laughs> the, the the text itself is is rather large, right? It's like I don't know, somewhere between like 500 and 600 pages of fun, and you know, it's it's this really robust um, uh, body of knowledge in printed form that that tries to encompass all the different uh, best practices and common tools and, and uh, ways to view and manage projects. And the beauty of the PMBOK uh, is that it is uh, customizable or tailorable for your application. So they don't prescribe in the project management uh, uh, body of knowledge a, a step-by-step surefire way to run projects. What they do is they try to go into all the different elements of project management and convey many of the best practices and and solid foundational knowledge of project management so that you um, have a better idea of of what you're doing or what you should or could be doing in a project to help um reach that that almighty like goal right of of a successful project so it's to me it's the beauty of of the of the pmbok is they give you all these tools and things to learn and and know and understand and apply and then you have the freedom to tailor it to your project's individual needs
0: yeah absolutely so within that within the pmbok you have stuff around managing risk communication scheduling task descriptions you have project definition stuff you have a wide range of tools that's really going to allow you to make sure that you achieve the objective of that project, whether and doing that within the constraints, right? Because there are a lot of constraints within projects. Oh yeah. So with that being said, there I know there's a large portion on risk within Pembok. How important is yes. managing risk in projects?
1: James, you couldn't have asked a better question. And that is like <clears throat> when I would teach uh, when I would teach project management courses, I think my students would get sick of me using the word risk because I would tell him, like, every project manager's job is to manage risk. Like, I don't care what element of the project you work in, your job is to manage risk. It's this blanket that covers all the different functions and actions within a project. And it covers and and is is behind every single element of the PMBOK. All of it's informed or, or at least influenced by risk. And so uh, the, the PMBOK does a good job of trying to, you know, convey – the principles and, and, and perspectives on risk. Uh, but really the way you gotta, you know, you gotta step away from the book, um, with the knowledge of, of understanding that the assessment and management of risk is inherent in the project. And it's imperative that the project manager kind of has that at the front of their, you know, of, of their brain the entire time they're, they're working for the project. So, you know, the risk, uh, chapter is one of my favorite and so is quality, but that's just because I'm an industrial management nerd. So, um, <laughs> you know, from a systems engineering perspective, I thought the section on risk was fantastic because you have all of this focus in systems engineering and, and in production work and a lot of other engineering type uh, work where you're focused on requirements definition. Right. And what you realize when you get good at, at identifying and managing risk is that, you can you can control risk from day one to a certain degree and you can actually do some of that in requirements definition and you can do some of it in team building and you can do some of that in how you structure your contracts and like all these different actions that you take part in in a project uh help you manage risk um and of course a risk is uh, a risk until it's not right and it becomes an issue and that's a thing that's actually happening so you know the the hard part about risk for some people is just managing the unknown, uh, managing uncertainty. You know some people do better with that than others. some people are more comfortable with the the unknown than others. So you know you learn a lot about yourself when you're looking at risk as well.
0: yeah, absolutely. and when you're and when we talk about managing risk, it's really identifying what are the risks to the project at all the various stages, like you mentioned, right? There might be communication risks or leadership risks. There might be risks in actual execution of the project. There might be risks in handover of that project to the operating group. It's prevalent throughout the entire lifecycle of that project. So we identify yes. these and then we risk rank them and then figure out what we're going to do about them. Is that kind of what we do?
1: Yeah, so you, you want to identify risk. And if you're looking at the, the PMI way of business, they're going to. you that two of the key functions with risks outside of identification is uh is is qualifying and quantifying risk right and the qualifying is gathering all that information or data about the risk and and really understanding what the risk is and how it might impact you and trying to gather the numbers associated with that because of course you know translating uh you know seemingly uh, uh dangerous activities to dollar dollar figures is always valuable for for the business line to understand you know what's the financial impact of this risk Uh, so oftentimes it comes down to that but you know all that goes into qualifying the risk really understanding is this a risk that qualifies for further investigation and and management and then at that point you can move into uh quantifying risk and 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 developing risk strategies right And, and to me that's kind of the most important part of it is you can do all the other stuff in the front to justify developing a strategy, but in the end, it's what are you going to do about the risk that's really going to make an impact on the project and the organization. So, you know, getting getting your head wrapped around uh, what type of risk uh, strategy options you have in that product and project environment is important because each project is, like I said, a unique endeavor. It's a unique thing and exists in a unique environment with unique people and, and this team building that thing and you have to kind of assess risk against that environment and not just some arbitrary calculation in a in a spreadsheet or on a on a piece of paper somewhere so you know i think we we get lost when we start talking about quantifying and qualifying risk um and the fact that in the end your job is to create a strategy to help either eliminate or or avoid or or soften the blow of that risk right um and and that's one of the Better parts about the the section on risk management.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the reason why we're trying to manage all those risks is we're really trying to balance the three realms of project management. Now it's been a while since I've gone through this, so correct me if I'm wrong, but it's time, cost, and quality, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, okay. back in the day, they used to call it the uh, triple constraints. Yeah, and uh, you know th- these were the these were the three areas that were most likely going to uh, to have to be controlled but we're also going to control your project right? so you only have so much time and money and and quality is a is a thing that can impact both and uh and and takes a concerted effort to to achieve so yeah yeah those are the three uh elements of the iron triangle if you will in project All
0: management right. and risk is just trying to make sure we're control identifying what could put any one of those in jeopardy and manage that so they stay within the boundaries we establish, Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge part of the risk, uh, piece of the equation. Um, but I will posit that, uh, you know, when you, when you look at risk, you should definitely, uh, assess it against the, 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 the constraints. Right. But you should also try to look at risk external to that if you can, which is a little bit harder. Um, and, and it, and it takes a little bit of time away from 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 working within the constraints but you know when you think about risk uh, in ways that don't necessarily impact the time cost or quality um draws on the project sometimes it's just the the fostering of of certain types of uh, communication or stakeholder management techniques things like that that you know are, are kind of a little bit further along in the risk management uh, realm than than the stuff that meets you at the at the doorfront right the things that you've already quantified and uh, a, as risks that need to be addressed so yeah no, you're absolutely correct that the primary focus of that balance is is keeping the balance of time cost and quality in check while meeting all your milestones and, and project objectives and I think that something that a lot of engineering or technical project managers miss is this tie to um, the business drivers right so all these projects that are approved, by by the organization have some type of business value associated with them. And one of the administrative functions that's more commonly um, associated with traditional project management approaches against maybe some of the more uh, the more you know up and coming type approaches to project management is this hard tie to business value that's that's documented somewhere. You know, whether you put it in your charter or a business case analysis or you actually put it <clears throat> in a dedicated, uh, business, uh, value statement of some sort, um, you have to be able to tie all that back to those, to those value statements. And in, in PMBOK, they actually do a really good job of talking about how you have certain objectives that you have to meet in the project. And those objectives are tied back to business strategies and business objectives. And, um, yeah, so there's, there's a big piece of that at play as well.
0: All right. Excellent. Now, we're really concerned about those three, the iron triangle, as you put it. How does a project manager balance those three different elements?
1: Well, you know, it's like any other resource balance, right? You only have uh, you have a lot of constraints. You know, you only have certain types of staff or numbers of people and, and, and quality is one of the ones that really gets people because how much do you invest in, in reaping a certain amount of quality benefit from your production line? Is that investment provide a positive ROI or is it just for the sake of, you know, producing the greatest quality, but you're doing it at a cost, right? There's a, there's that balance there to strike in the, in the realm of quality. That's almost a little bit easier for some of us in the maintenance and reliability world to understand, you know, I I can't justify pouring $2 million into a quality assurance program when I can't, uh, show the, the ROI is positive on that. Right. So as a project manager, sometimes you don't have control over the functional areas of your company. uh, And it makes it a little challenging with this, with this, with this uh, three-headed monster to balance, because, you know, take, for example, like a functionally uh, organized, um, you know, company or, 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 or site uh, where, where everything's broken into functional areas. And you may have a functional manager that controls the staff under their, under their section. And you're having to Coordinate, uh, you know, the time and 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 investment that you can get out of certain staff members with that functional area manager. Uh, so there's a middleman in play, right? And they have influence, and so your influence as a project manager is a bit diminished in that in that example. Uh, whereas in other situations, when you're in a projectized or project focused organization, everyone may work directly for a, an individual project, and that project manager may be able to make. All of the decisions based on what those people are working on and how much time they can dedicate to what project and so you have a bit more control over those those uh, the triple constraints um, as a project manager in that situation so it becomes really difficult the further you get away from having influence as a PM you know ideally in the you know in, in the world of project management if, if project management is at the forefront and all projects exist to provide uh, high value and high benefit to the organization. And so we go we get projectized. The project manager gets a lot of control over balancing time, cost, and quality. And of course, you have to do that through integration, which is a huge thing in project management. I don't, I don't think enough people focus um, on in integrating project management functions. They, they look at PMBOK and they look at these different knowledge areas and they say, all right, I got to do all this. Got to be specialized, in, you know, at, at controlling the schedule, which is the time element, or or the budget, which is the cost element, or the or the work that's being produced and quality, uh, and they and they neglect to really focus on on being an integrator of all things, and that that integration and maximizing the teamwork and maximizing the communication and stakeholder management, and really integrating the project staff, and integrating the project technicians that that can bring you greater value in all, across all the, the constraints. And it also creates a lot of transparency so that, you know, everyone's aware of the time, cost, and quality implications of decisions, um, which is obviously a, 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 an element of change management. So,
0: All right. Excellent. So it's a lot of work to balance and provide that integration, you know, especially if you're just a functional and not a direct manager of a lot of these people. It's very, very difficult to do that. Yes. Now. Yeah. No. How absolutely I've struggled with that in the past. It's it's hard, right? Cuz their boss is telling them to do something. What are they going to do? Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's really tough. So, I mean, one of the benefits of military service uh, was we have a strict chain of command, you know? And so the one thing I do miss about the military was, you know, the sponsor of your project was was a, a fairly senior person in the organization, you could always point back to that person's authority as the sponsor on the project and say, hey, look, I know you're not happy about this demand I'm asking for, but we have to meet this uh, this decision that was made. We have to go execute that. And by the way, this, this sponsor, this powerful uh, person is expecting it to happen. So, you know, we have to work together to make that happen. Uh, in the civilian sector, or even in, in, in some of the uh, government sector, you don't have that same uh, rigid hierarchy, and so it becomes really important that at the outset, or the onset, sorry, of the project, when you when you develop the project charter, you have the right level of executive support or sponsorship for the project, because then you get that kind of influence, right? Um, and you have to be empowered as a project manager so that the functional area manager actually respects the thing you're asking for. You know, it's one thing to do it on a personal level. You know, because James and Luke get along and if, if, if Luke comes to James and says, hey, I need something, he might be, you know, uh, motivated by our friendship to, to hook me up or whatever and, and, and vice versa. But in situations where that kind of relationship doesn't exist, you might be completely reliant on the authority as the PM or the extension of authority from a sponsor um, to get that done. And it's unfortunate,
0: but it, but it is common. This podcast is brought to you by Irridescio. Be sure to check out Irridescio.com for a free copy of their ebook, A Smarter Way of Preventative Maintenance. This ebook will allow you to review your current maintenance program and eliminate the non-value added work you're doing, which is most likely causing you more downtime than it is preventing. www.irridicio.com. Now, you know, talking about balancing all these three things, the different elements of project management, how does that relate or connect to maintenance and reliability professionals?
1: I love it. So, you know, maintenance is a great piece of this because, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of projects associated with maintaining very complex assets. And I'll, I'll fall back on my on my ship uh, repair uh, experience as a good example of this. You know, when we would take a ship out of the water and perform multi-million dollar contract worth of both preventive and corrective maintenance on this asset, uh, you know, it, had, it was a defined project. It had a, a definitive beginning and end, it had objectives, the, the scope was well-defined. Um, the budget was set, you know, and off we go. We have to we have to execute the scope. Well, you know, as a as a maintenance and reliability uh, person, as you work up through levels of responsibility in your organization, more and more of those types of projects end up landing in your lap, right? Because they're looking for someone responsible to execute these projects that really understands the equipment and will get a get the get the job done. Um, and and you're dealing with the same you know, constraints and, and hopefully you've, you've got a well enough defined scope to succeed um, in this case. But, you know, that that relevance of the maintenance professional is technical, right? So a maintenance and reliability uh, professional has has a technical capability that a normal project manager that's strictly business doesn't have. And so you have more value to a project management role in a technical organization if you can wear both hats, if you can be the PM and and, the, and a technically capable person leading a technical project, so to me it, it's it's a it's a marriage made in heaven, you know. And when you take that multi-million-dollar uh, contract from beginning to end, and you responsibly manage the resources and work with your um, contracted uh, agreements, right, and and other sources of labor and supply chain and and all the stuff that comes along with getting all this maintenance done, uh, you know, you, you realize that the really adept managers of maintenance and reliability are are benefited by being really adept project managers as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, because then they have the ability to push some of these things through, make sure they're getting completed on time, with less cost, at the right quality level, all these different things. Yeah. Now does a reliability professional have to be an expert in project management or does a little bit of knowledge go a long way?
1: Yeah, well, you know, a, a little bit does go a long way. And I would I would definitely say that you shouldn't wait for everyone to become an expert before you let them do something, right? So if you're in an organization that that is very risk averse and you are not willing to let your technical leaders who have project management experience Uh, And the capacity to manage projects, if you're not willing to let them do those things, their skills are going to atrophy uh, or there's a good chance they will. Um, I hate to speak in absolutes, but there's a good chance that their skills will atrophy or they won't be as sharp when you need them to be uh, at managing those projects. They'll be out of practice a bit. Um, And you shouldn't expect them to be experts in project management unless they're, you know, that's what they do for a living. Project management is a profession. And so I wouldn't take a project manager that knew a little bit about fixing cars and expect him to be a master mechanic, right? Uh, for for BMW or Cadillac or you know anyone else. Um, I also wouldn't take a a, a master. mechanic or a mechanical engineer and expect them to be an expert project manager. And so I think it's incumbent on the organization to realize that you have to strike a balance in the capability of your staff, right? And there's actually several ways you can do that from an organizational standpoint. You can train your your technically-minded people to be, you know, sufficient project managers and, and develop that competency within the Within the workforce, um, or you can go and hire some dedicated project managers with a technical background, and get them really good at running the project, so the technical uh, staff can focus on technical stuff. You know, and some organizations even go as far as having what's called a PMO or a project management office that <clears throat> can have varying levels of influence over project execution in an organization. Everything from like kind of hands off, where we provide you guys with training and tools and and guidance. Um, all the way up to that office is the office that manages all projects, right? So organizations can, can make that scalable project management office approach. Um, one of the, one of the, the tools in their toolbox, if they're big enough to, to do so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've seen it where, you know, that PMO, sometimes they provide the tools and then projects over a certain threshold level, they get involved with, right? So it, it, That's right. it provides that balance.
1: Yeah. The government's really big on that. Um, you know, we, we have certain levels of, of, uh, of, of impact based on financial and political, um, and, and strategic value of certain projects or acquisition efforts. And, you know, the bigger they are, the more staff they are and the more controls there are over the execution of those acquisitions. Um, and that, that's absolutely uh, a fact, you know, and, and there's, there's just one other thing to, to state about that. You know, I, I think that some organizations feel like they can't, if, if they can't do it themselves, they, sh- they can't do it. Um, or if they can't do it themselves, they'll just figure it out. And sometimes that's like a worse idea than investing and in bringing someone in to help you for a little while, at least until you get on your feet or just to, to help you throughout the whole thing, because the ROI of having someone manage the project is better than having to spread your own crew too thin, which you know probably happens more often than it should. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that organizations should be open to bringing in outside help as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, for someone who wants to get started in project management, where do they do that?
1: Uh, great question. There, there's many different approaches. Um, you can, you know, I always tell people it's it's one thing to, it's a little different than other industries, right? You, usually, what you end up with is is a person that's been doing a different job, a technical job, or or some other type of job. And in this case, like a maintenance reliability type position in an organization, and as they Become or as they demonstrate their ability to be responsible and they're and they're and they're on board with everything going on in the company as far as uh, expectations for managing investments and stuff like that. The company feels uh, empowered to entrust them with uh, with a project, right? And so they kind of get that hands-on learning experience working under another person or with another person that manages projects in the organization or in worst case they're just given a project and told to make it succeed and they have to learn as they go along you know th- those are those are kind of risky uh, endeavors the higher the cost and implications you know criticality of equipment those types of things um so you know i, I i'm i'm a big fan of making sure that if you're going to use your existing staff And you're going to use your existing technical staff that you show them that they're worthy of being invested in. And you give them a little bit of training on project management. You know, it's not enough to just hand them the PMBOK and say, go learn this stuff. And there's just way too much there. I mean, we we teach a a project management certification course, cramming that course into one week is like a feat, you know, that took three to six months to study just for the the exam itself you know, and that's after years of being a project manager. So I think that uh, having a, a, an organization that values project management, providing project management training for your, for your people and giving them the experience that they need is is the way to do it. If you're the organization, if you're the staff member, you should be seeking those opportunities out from your, from your chain of command. And it could be a small project. It doesn't have to be a $15 million thing. You know, it could be that, that we have a, a defined need within the organization to improve something. You can have a definitive budget and, and time period in which to do that work. They have clear objectives for getting it done. You put the project stamp on it and the guy, call him a project manager and and, and let him go and, and give him some, give him some time in the seat because they'll find out a lot about what it means to manage projects when they're the ones holding, holding the, uh, holding the bag.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Now, as they start to learn more, what certifications are out there? I know there's a few. If you're new, newer to project management, there's some. If you have a lot more experience, and there's different even sub-certifications I've seen out there. What are the most common ones you see?
1: Yeah, so I would I would say that the the Project Management Institute's Project Management Professional certification, the PMP, is the is the most commonly adopted certification. In fact, it's it's the most you know, adopted worldwide, not just within uh, North America. It's, it's, you know, whereas some organizations are kind of inherent to their, to their continental reach. Uh, the PMP is, is internationally recognized. So the PMP is, is the, is the forerunner for project management professionals, but PMI does understand that not everyone has the requisite experience to certify as a project manager, because to get a PMP certification, you do have to have a certain amount of project management experience already under your belt, at application or they won't let you take the exam. The way PMI looks at the PMP certification is this person at the moment of certification is a project management professional, not a project management professional in training, right? Yep. And and they don't expect you to be an expert at certification, but you've met the minimum standards to become certified and they're not easy. I mean, it's a really tough four-hour exam. I've only taken two exams in my life that I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking forward to ever doing that again. And the PMP was one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> I make sure I don't lapse on that certification just because it is, it is a tough test. That's a tough exam. Sorry. Um, the, there, there is a, a CAPM certification, which is kind of like a, uh, like a project manager in development certification that you can get from the project management Institute uh, that, that attempts to bridge that gap between someone that has enough experience to be a PMP and, and someone that has none. Right. So in between you can, you can get the cap them. Uh, and, and the PMBOK is, uh, is helpful in that certification as well. And then of course you have all the certifications that are associated with, uh, agile applications of project management, which is different than the traditional, um, you know waterfall approach. Now, the PMP is supposed to be all-encompassing, and it is becoming more all-encompassing this January second when they change the exam, and they shift to a much heavier agile focus than they have had in previous editions of the exam. So a little heads up for anyone that's listening to this that wants to certify as a PMP. The exam is changing January second and it is changing significantly. So if you're if you're looking to prepare uh, for that exam, you may want to do a little research into what your options are, and of course, I'm, I'm here to talk to you if you if you need a little advice on that. But you know, the the, the reason I bring that up is there are there are a lot of uh, certifications in the Agile world. Depending on the application, you've got uh, you've got companies that are certifying Scrum Masters. Uh, I mean, even the military has a military Scrum Master certification uh, that, that's offered through the Marines and the and the and the Department of the Navy. Um, you, have, uh, you have, you know, agile practitioner certifications, you've got SAFE, you've got all these different types of, um, of agile uh, approaches to project management. I, hate, I don't want to use the word methods because some people take, take note with that. But, uh, yeah, so depending on what you want to do in project management and what kind of project management you want to dive into, the PMP is universally the most well-rounded.
0: All right, perfect. Now, if people want to find out more about project management reach out to you you mentioned a project management certification course where do they go to find all this information
1: yeah so at east partnership uh we partner with other entrepreneurs that provide training to people that maintain or sustain the world's greatest assets and managers as well Um, and so one of the things we've done is we've partnered with pm prolearn it's a company small company that um has been wildly successful because of their fantastic relationship with their students, um, and they started out as being focused primarily on on the U.S. military, supporting U.S. military project managers, and getting them certified. Um, and then, uh, you know, quickly picked up large corporate uh, customers like T-Mobile and, and a few others. Um, and uh, so, so PM Pro Learn is the name of that company. They're one of our partners, and you can go to East Partnership. Dot org, uh, And we have a page there for our uh, for our PMP folks interested in seeking uh, certification or you can go talk to Ian and Tim or Josh over at uh, PM ProLearn and tell them Lucas uh, sent you and they'll, they'll open the door up for you and talk to you. Uh, but just a fantastic group of guys. Um, they're not the only people out there, but they're the best. Um, and I wouldn't uh, you know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that just because they're our partners. Uh, we wouldn't have partnered with them if they weren't, um, the best people to work with. And I think with the, one of the issues yet you, you fall into with project management certifications is because it's so popular, you have a lot of organizations out there trying to offer it, right? Because you know, popularity equals people paying for certification, um, yep. prep. And so people are motivated to try and get that money. And, One of the things I really appreciated about PM ProLearn is when I met Tim, the owner back in 2017, when I first started working with him, he was a one-man show and he was out to help people that were transitioning from the military to the civilian sector become project managers because he just cared that these people were getting into the right profession. That was it. That was his whole motivation. He saw veterans that needed help and he wanted to help them. And if it could help him close the gap on paying some bills that month. Great. But he actually left a really well-paying job in DC with a lot of stability to go do that because he saw the value in helping people. And as I worked with uh, Tim over the years, um, over the last three years and saw how he was selective and who he would bring into his team and just the great nature of the people that work uh, in that group. I was all in. I said, man, I'll be lucky if, uh, if I can just continue working with them. And so they're, they're kind of the people I always point out as, uh, they're in it for the right reason kind of people. And they're not out to, you know, chase people down for their money and then forget about them. As a matter of fact, it was, um, a point of discussion with, uh, Sonia Mathura, uh, yep. and, and, and a couple of those guys over at PM ProLearn, uh, in a, in a, in a webinar we did, um, where I focused on what happens outside of that training right? You have one week of project management, professional training. Uh, most people just never talk to you again. After that, you go to your course, your instructor gives you the, your, your curriculum, you study, you, you, you do whatever that you need to do to pass the class. And then when you're done, it's good luck. And these guys are cradle to grave project management um, certification support network. They'll, they'll talk to you over the course the entire year after your class Bring you back to another course convening for free since you already went to one. They'll stay up at night and talk to you. They actually have cram courses that they set up just to help their previous students um, prepare for the test because life happens, you know, and, and between your class and your test, you might delay by six months or something because of some life event. So, you know, just good people doing good
0: things. All right. Excellent. Well, I will make sure to link to them. Now, where do people get in touch with you?
1: Um, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, I hope. Uh, you know, Lucas Marino and, of course, eastpartnership.org. I also have a, uh, a LinkedIn uh, page uh, for East Partnership. Um, so you can you can find us as the East Partnership on LinkedIn. And I can be found at lucas at eastpartnership.org. Uh, and you can also find me uh, at Amentum, just a fantastic uh, group of people at Amentum. And I'm at lucas.marino at Amentum.com. So either of those two email addresses and you will find me.
0: All right. Excellent. Now, one last question I always like to ask is if you, if you could recommend one resource for people to learn about project management, what is it?
1: Yeah, that's a man. There's so many resources out there, too. Um, I would say that you need to first take a look at what kind of learner you are. Right? If you're a person that needs to sit down and digest a lot of information to really grasp a topic and sort of marinate in it and you're a reader, uh, you know, there is nothing wrong with picking up the PMBOK, although people will tell you not to do this, and, and reading about the pinback. Right, like read the PIM It's okay. As a matter of fact, anyone who takes the exam, I tell them read it twice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't just skim it. Read it. Um, now, you know, there's some parts of the pin that are are less desirable for reading than others. That's fine. I get it. Um, but you know, you're going to need that book if you're going to certify anyway. So, that's one one resource. Um, there are a ton of videos out on YouTube and on the web that talk about this stuff. But PM Pro and even myself over at East Partnership we're putting out videos. On project management and and we actually just did a one hour and 18 minute full session on all the different elements to consider with project management certification and training and all that kind of stuff how to learn about it um there are great blogs uh at at the project management institute website you have a tremendous amount of information there Uh, so check out pmi's website and they also have projectmanagement.com which pmi owns if i'm not mistaken they still own it uh, ProjectManagement.com has a has a lot of um, online resources as well, and uh, you know this is a this is a little bit of an unorthodox approach, but it's something I've I found very useful. If you specialize in a certain industry and that industry publishes any type of documentation on project management, it might not be a bad idea to go look at it. Right. So I'm a systems engineer, and there was this fantastic text or not textbook, but a text uh, published that merged systems engineering and project management. I picked it up and enjoyed reading that thing from end to end, I'll read it twice. And it just really gave me some way to relate the uh, the discipline of project management to the discipline of systems engineering. And uh, and there's, there are a lot of um, texts out there that are kind of focused on industry. So you can look into those as well.
0: I wanna thank you again for taking the time to talk to us about project management today. I got a lot of great resources. I'm gonna plug in the show notes. I'm gonna get the link for that video that you just talked about as well. Thank you so much. Hopefully, it's provided some insights to project management and the certification behind it for our listeners. So thank you.
1: Thanks, James. And good luck to anyone out there that's interested in uh, pursuing the exam. I I wish you all luck.
0: I would like to thank you for listening and remind you that you can always find out more on maintenance, reliability, and asset management at www.irridescio.com and by following our blog. The Rooted in Reliability podcast is a proud member of the reliability.fm network. I'd like to ask you to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. It ensures the podcast stays relevant and is easy to find by like-minded professionals. It is only with your ratings and reviews that the Rooted in Reliability podcast can continue to grow. I thank you for providing this small but critical support. We'll see you next week when we dive into another burning topic with Rooted in Reliability, your plant performance podcast.